Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Good morning. I'm a bit loud. Well, today no one can escape the coronavirus pandemic. It's worldwide, it's causing suffering, it's causing isolation, it's causing death. Affecting people's health, their uh, emotional health, their um, mental health and their physical health. It's affecting work and the future prospects of work. It's affecting whole nations and people groups. Individuals feel powerless. Communities and workplaces are affected in many ways and may be affected for some time to come. And added to this, if people don't know God or don't believe in God, many people today have little hope. It's no wonder that there is a lot of an increase in depression. Because if you take away your work, you take away your ability to travel, to relax, uh, your normal social activities, and then your health, what is really left? Depression, maybe self-harm, and mental health problems. But this should not be the case for Christians. Who can be confident and joyful and thankful? Well, Christians can. So what makes Christians different? The letter to the Ephesians gives us three key Teachings, three key principles to understand the Christian faith. They are God's saving purposes, the plan, God's plan. God's community, which is called the church. How does that fit into the plan? And then God's power. What is the power that God gives Christians? The gospel. God's plan, God's church and God's gospel. Firstly, what do we learn from Ephesians about God's saving purposes, his plan? Well, let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 to 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan, for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. A big idea in Ephesians is that God has this overall plan, this overarching plan, but it involves everybody. And understanding God's plan and understanding God's plan for the world that includes you is actually a very important thing. That's why Paul elaborates it all through this letter. And this is the plan, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, all things under Christ. It's an all-encompassing plan, and you must get to see this big picture. And that's what Paul wants to elaborate in Ephesians, writing to all believers that they capture this vision. They capture God's sovereignty, God's plan overall. And it's centred on the gospel, of course. 
And uh, we might uh, do a little comparison here with the pandemic. It's worldwide. It affects every nation. It affects every person. But it's a, a joyful plan. It's a, it's a wonderful plan to unite peoples uh, together. Tonight, even the angels with God's people together in heaven and on earth under Christ. And to contemplate God's plan for this world and to grasp its breathtaking in scope, God's strategy in Christ. And to do that, Paul actually turns to prayer. And it's interesting, isn't it? When You can have a lot of people uh, discuss things with you and they'll give you their points for and against and so on. And they may or may not be persuaded of your point of view. But when someone turns to pray, then that relation changes, that relationship changes. Someone, some people ask for prayer from Christians because they're in trouble. But this is a prayer that we may grasp God's plan. And uh, there's a little phrase in which I want to elaborate a bit more <clears throat> on it, but I'll just read from Ephesians 1, 18 to 20, and you'll hear uh, what Paul's praying. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Tell me, have a, have a think about it. What are the eyes of your heart? Do you actually have eyes in your heart? Are they poking out and peeping out and looking around? Is that what it means? No, no. Paul's uh, phrasing here is a phrasing that means... What is your greatest love? What do you rest your hope on? If you took everything away, what is it that you really worship? Or who do you really worship? You know, this is the eyes of your heart. Paul is praying that we see that our greatest love, our greatest affection should be on God, should be on God and his plan and his purposes. That is the hope to which Christ has called you, he writes. That to know the riches of his glorious inheritance, to know the immeasurable greatness of his power, which is able to bring uh, all things together in Christ. And Paul wants us to have a heart for God. He wants us to have our devotion and our focus on God. Contrast that with the mainstream media, what they're putting out today. And it's all doom and gloom. There is no plan, or perhaps if we get a vaccine. And the only real concern is the numbers are going up and there's death and disease, anguish and despair. And here is, that is the bad news. Here is the good news, that God has this immeasurable, uh, in his immeasurable greatness, he has this great plan. And he speaks to us of his plan here in Ephesians, to unite people in and the heavenly beings, all the creation, the created order together through Christ. And this rises above all those conspiracies out there, the conspiracies about this is going to happen and that's going to happen worldwide, you know. It's about all those people scheming away behind the scenes, trying to manipulate you in all the plots and controversies and the politics. 
but they don't acknowledge God or what God's doing. You know, when you become a believer, understanding all this, it's, it's, it's revolutionary. It's like the Copernicus revolution. Have you heard of that? Copernicus, Nicholas Copernicus was a mathematician in the Renaissance period. And uh, he created a bit of a storm, a bit of a controversy because he said, well, actually, uh, the planets don't revolve around the Earth. Uh, the planets and Earth revolves around the Sun and we actually rotate, our planet rotates uh, in a spiral around, around the Sun. And Copernicus' theories, as they were then, made a lot of people very uncomfortable and somewhat upset because it changed everything about the way people thought about the world and the way that people thought about themselves. And that's what God's plan does. When Jesus rightfully is the centre of your life and the centre of the world and for individuals, then it changes everything. That's what we say. The gospel does change everything. And so it is all-encompassing in that sense, but it's also very personal. And let me go back to um, just a little, the start of this letter. It says there, God has blessed us, blessed those who are in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Whatever we may dream of, whatever we're hoping of, this is far, far greater to have every blessing from God as in a spiritual sense. You know, sometimes when I'm at work, I hear a couple of people come in and, and they say, how are you doing? And, yeah, I'm, I'm going great. And, and they say, how are you doing? And they'll say, oh, I'm living the dream. Okay, you're living the dream. What's that mean? Well, you know, the wife's at home happy and the kids are at school happy and i am got plenty of work and I'm drawing in the income and we can go on the weekends away and just enjoy ourselves and I'm living the dream. The thing is that the dream when you get locked down and when your work fails and when you can't pay your bills and when your health fails and then you end up in the aged care facility where no one can visit you, what's happened to your dreams? And sadly, there's nothing left. But what we have here is what Paul's saying, is God has blessed those who believe in Jesus with every spiritual blessing. That's every blessing that Christ uh, enables us. Just as Christ has uh, all authority in heaven and on earth and he is living a life, everlasting life, there is no death with him. He goes on eternally right now. So we too have every spiritual blessing, just as Jesus, as we call him our brother, does. It's such a thrill, it's such a joy in that personal sense that he tells us he would lavish his love on those who accept him with every spiritual blessing. And we need to open our hearts, open our eyes of our hearts to see this. That's what Paul's praying. It's actually very hard. It's actually a challenge for people to do that today. Um, there's a couple of illustrations in the Bible. It's uh, and, a, and a famous picture by a man called Holman Hunt uh, painted it. It's like we're inside our little enclosure in our home and uh, 
There is Christ knocking at the door, knocking, knocking, with holding the light, knocking at the door. He has no handle to open the door and he will only come in if you open the door for him, if you invite him into your life. You are the only one that can open that door, but will you allow him in? Or another way of looking at it, there are many doors in life. You can do many things and have a focus on many things in many situations, but there is, and all these other doors look very attractive in a sense. They're broad doors, they're wide doors. But there's a little door, a very narrow door. It's very unattractive in, in, in the world's eyes. But yet it's a very inviting door because if you open that door, it says you, you can enter in at no cost. Every other door, it's very costly. You end up uh, being very disappointed. But this one door, this one narrow door, it has on the words, come to me, all who are heavy laden and weary, and I will give you rest. And should you ever enter through that door, on the inside is written Ephesians 1.5. Before the world was made, God has chosen you to be his child. And that was what he wanted. That's what pleases him. So that gives you the great confidence and the joy. You see, it's, it's like a Copernican revolution. When you go through that door, then you realise... What a blessing, what a joy it is to know the Lord. And when you go through that door, of course, you'll see that there are other people just like you. And that's what we call the church, which brings me to the second point, that how does the church fit into God's plan? We understand God has a plan, but how does the church fit into this plan? Surely we can, we can just be happy enough to be accepted by God and and. And belonging to, to God, as, as, uh, in a sense, but why do we need to gather? Why do we need to get together? Surely we can sit at home on the couch with the remote, you know? What, what a joy that is in our PJs. And we can turn up the volume and turn down the volume on the preacher, even switch him off if we like. But what's the big idea of, of the church? Well, Paul says it's actually central to God's plan. It's actually central to God's plan. And it, it's uh, quite elaborated quite a lot in Ephesians. And there are actually three aspects. There's the essence of the church. Wh- what is it about the church that makes it essential? It's being in Christ, becoming the family. What is the purpose of the church? Well, it's displaying God's wisdom to an unbelieving world. And what is the activity of the church? What is the church to be doing Despite the fact that it's, it's a unity, there is a great diversity. So it is also a growing body. Let me first talk about the essence of the church and how, what makes the church the church. It's Christ in us. And that phrase uh, is mentioned about 36 times in Ephesians. On average, three times more than any of uh, Paul's other letters. And it just means that God's people are incorporated into one in Christ. It means they're vitally connected. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17 to 22. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens 
But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now we could elaborate on this a lot, but Paul gives some great analogies, some pictures here of what it means to be in Christ. And as I said, it just means to be vitally connected with Jesus. There's the picture of a a solid connected unity, as in the stones of a temple. There's a picture of a biological dependent unity, as in the picture of the parts of the body all connected and working together. And there's the picture of the intimate, loving related uh, unity as a husband and a wife. Of course, the importance is that Christ is the cornerstone of the temple. Christ is the head of the body and Christ is the husband to the wife. That is the essence of the church, Christ in you. And the purpose of the church is to display the glory of God and the plan through this unity. Ephesians 3, 7 to 13 Paul writes, to me this grace was given to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purposes that he realised in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. What is God's purpose with the church? It's to reveal the mystery that's been hidden from ages. How how some very uh, apart people, Jews, Gentiles, whoever, can come together. And this term, this through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. What's manifold mean, boys and girls? Well, if you asked your dad... He'll say, yeah, there's a manifold on my car. You know, see all those pipes there or the manifold taking the exhaust into one point. But if you ask your mums, they'll say, well, think about an embroidery, uh, an intricate embroidered garment, tapestry, how there's many different strands and they all come into one. Or think about this precious diamond, how many different facets, no matter what you, which way you look at it, it's so beautiful. Well, that's the church. It's displaying the manifold wisdom to God, to the rulers and the authorities, to the unbelieving world out there, to the powers in the spiritual realms. And this rich diversity that's called the church is everywhere. It's one of the most powerful arguments for those who want to follow Islam or Buddhism or atheism, Uh, that all these other sort of um, religions don't thrive in every culture in every place. But you look across the world, Christianity is the world's largest religion. You talk about religions. And the same gospel of Christ is celebrated by Christians in every nation, in every country, in every cultural background. And we see this even at exchange, don't we? We see people from different cultures and different backgrounds displaying this truth that we're all in Christ. 
and Paul says the hostile powers of Satan are forced to recognise the triumph of God's eternal plan to gather people together in himself. Now people get worried about, again, the, the, the conspiracies and the, the, the Chinese, but let me tell you about the Chinese. You know, like 50 years ago, there's probably only 20 million Christians. And now there's a hundred, they say, there's 104 million Christians in China. They've got lots of little house churches. And they're growing at 7% a year. More Christians belong to the church in China than the atheist communist party. Something to think about. And this is all about displaying God's, God's purposes, God's plan, the church. Now I've been participating in many sports over the years, cricket and tennis and basketball and soccer and football and rowing, swimming and running. And a few times I've had a little victory. I've been a winner. And isn't it great when you win the race? Isn't it great when you, when you, when you get the prize, when you get the certificate or the trophy? Well, Paul's drawing an analogy here from the Roman world that Christians are like the conquerors who are coming back from the victory. And there is the commander-in-chief leading the parade. And there is the church following on in that victory parade. And can you see it? They're giving out gifts and they're just rejoicing. People are rejoicing. This is a great celebration. And that's the picture of the church today. That every church is like the trophy cabinet. Every church is like the victory parade, the celebration of God's people rejoicing over, over what Christ has done. He's won the victory over death and Satan and sin. And so <clears throat> we gather to do that. And we may, as, as Paul goes on there in chapter 3, we, through faith in Christ, we therefore may approach with freedom and confidence. Wherever we've come from, whatever we've done in the past, we can recognise that in Christ our sins are forgiven, our, our wrongs against God are forgiven, and through the gospel we can confidently come to God in prayer and live in his presence on earth now and one day with him in a renewed earth and heavens. And thirdly, there's the activity of the church. What is the church to be doing well, this is a very uh, interesting point here, and I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of statue of the fullness of Christ. <clears throat> now... <clears throat> I could go on reading, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's, a, there's a, a, a sequence there. You know, God has given gifts, prophets, apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists, to 
To do what? Their purpose is to equip the saints. What are the saints to do? The work of the ministry. It's not just the pastors do the work of the ministry. It's not just few people do the work of the ministry. Everyone does the work of the ministry. And what's the purpose of doing the work of the ministry? What are we actually doing? We want to grow. We want to grow up in our faith. We want to grow up in our love for the Lord Jesus and our love for one another. And the whole thing is that we're a unity, but we're so diverse, aren't we? You know, when we look at exchange, there's doctors and nurses and teachers and academics and labourers and tradespeople and mums and dads and singles and married and students and children, and young and old, rich and poor, and from all walks of life. And we're united because of Christ. And we probably wouldn't be if we weren't. And what is being shown here is that we must aim to grow. Are you growing? Are you really growing in Christ? Have you seen that? Are are you aiming to be in, in, in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? It's a very important point. And, uh, the thing is that nothing you do makes you acceptable because you already are acceptable. But you do it to give glory back to him. You do it to display his power within you. He gives out gifts to each person to enable us to serve. And so we might put it the other way. What prevents people from actually being part of the church? What prevents people from actually coming to acknowledge uh, uh, the church is part of, in a big a centre of God's plan. You know, some people come and then they avoid coming for, for whatever reason. They, they were like on the inside, but they become like outsiders and they don't, for some reason, want to connect. It might be obvious that they've missed this point, that the church is the centrepiece of God's plan. Or they might think that they don't measure up in some way or that the church doesn't measure up in some way. And again, it needs to be come back to what is the gospel? What really is the gospel about? Of course we don't measure up in our own eyes, but there is one who does measure up and that is Christ. And of course, um, uh, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. And do they realise that? That's why they should gather together. And often people are just thinking about Jesus who came and walked through the roads of Palestine some 2,000 years ago. They think of a Jesus who is distant from them, but he's actually working now, and we see it in exchange. Jesus is living and actively involved with us, his people. And so therefore, we need to remember that uh, the church is about growing growing up to maturity. And often people focus on their abilities or their status or their achievements, but again, we keep needing to come back to it's not about us, about what we do, but rather what Christ has done. It's so easy that we think we can be clever with technology or our words, but often our pride comes out, doesn't it? And we miss out on proclaiming the gospel. And so we must learn, as Paul says here, to speak the truth in love. Now, I got spoken the truth in love the other day. 
I was sort of suggesting, well, you know, you know, I can sing up, you know, maybe I can sing. But my wife rather lovingly said, you know, sometimes you sing out a key. Oh, gee, that was hard. <laughs> um, and I have to say it's true. But the reason it's true is because I want other people to sing up and I'm so excited about what God is doing that I sometimes sing out of key. But I can be, learnt, I can be taught not to sing uh, out of key. But anyway, we need to learn to speak the truth in love. My wife was able to do that because we know each other so well. And I love her and she was speaking the truth <laughs> in love. And we need to do that as brothers and sisters in Christ too. Finally, God's enabling power. We've looked at God's plan, God's church, but what makes, what allows Christians to keep going? And this is again another very big important point. In Ephesians 6, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might and put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Two things that we need to remember here, the nature of the battle and the source of strength. The nature of the battle isn't physical, it's spiritual. We don't war against flesh and blood, but against the authorities that are opposed to God. And that's very important. You know, the story of Job in the Old Testament is a great classic about how we can live wisely. And the curtain's drawn back of the unseen world and there are the angels before God and there is Satan coming and saying, well, you've put a hedge around this person. You've blessed him so abundantly. You take that away and he'll change. And God said, all right, I'll, I'll leave him to you. Just don't harm him. And with Job came the murdering thieves, the fatal storm that killed his servants and all his children, lost all his crops and the livelihood and the skin disease that affected him and tortured him and the false teaching friends. And even his wife said, curse God and die. All employed by Satan in a way. And God allowed it because what Satan hoped that Job would be tempted to abandon God. And he didn't. And God used that to strengthen Job. And in the end, if we read that whole story through that book, that Job um, humbled himself, repented of, of his thoughts, and God blessed him again and more abundantly. He had more children and more crops and more livestock. And Satan's goal is not just the suffering itself, but to use the suffering to turn us away from God, to abandon our faith. And that's why Paul is saying you need to focus on the strength the Lord provides. And it's not just one aspect. There's a multitude of aspects. There's seven things listed here. You just can't obtain, say, oh, I've got the righteousness of Christ, and then say, I've got it all. You need to have these, all these defences. Put on the belt of truth. This analogy of the Roman soldier is great, but just think about the truth that we have in Christ, the righteousness, it's only obtained by Christ. The faith that we have is the faith in the gospel, what God does, the salvation. We can only be saved through faith in Christ. Uh, the prayer is uh, talking to God and the word of God, the spirit of 
the sword is the, uh, allowing God to talk back to us. And the most interesting one, I think, is the shoes. What are the shoes about? It's about the readiness. You put on your shoes so you can go places, don't you, in the morning. And the shoes, the readiness, is talking about the fact that we should be so immersed and familiar with the gospel that we're able to explain it to anyone at any time, in any place. This is, this is the important thing. We need to put on the whole armour, all those seven things, not just one thing. And at the same time, um, not to get too worried about Satan. Our spiritual protection against Satan is actually not to worry about him because we know he's defeated. We know that Christ gives us the victory. We're more than conquerors through him who loves us. And so if we want to understand why Christians are confident, joyful and thankful, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. God's salvation plan to unite and to bless us. God's church community displaying the wisdom to all the ruling authorities around us and God's power, which calls us to hold fast the gospel. Don't add and subtract to it. Just keep on the gospel. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that uh, there may be some people who don't understand and perhaps it's very hard to understand but I pray and we pray that there may be something that they've learned uh, from the letter to the Ephesians. And we pray that you would be able to give them the confidence to take the next step, which is to say, I want to know more. I want to learn about Jesus. Can someone help me open the Bible and just sit with me and, and learn about Jesus? Because that's what I want to do. And then for those who, of us from Exchange, who are going on and, and seeking to honour you. Lord, we pray that you would help us put on the whole armour of God to uh, utilise our gifts that you've given us and continue to speak the truth in love. And for those who seem to have joined us but have dropped away for whatever reason, Lord, we pray that you would help them to understand the great need to join together, to see that this is part of your plan to repent of their ways and to seek to come back and how joyful that reunion will be. Lord, we just ask all these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.